challenge level is really important in climbing. It's like the most important thing and it's what most people get wrong, especially when it comes to psychology. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game. And today we are wrapping up our expert analysis episodes for season one, and man, is it a good one. Yes, the mental game chapter of this show has been my favorite. It's just clear that proper mindset can yield faster and more profound performance gains than any hangboard routine ever could. It's like a secret code that we can unlock here. And today we're going to look back from where the pros in season one from Emily Harrington to Alex Honnold have struggled with their mental game. Yes, they've struggled with their mental game, what it's taught them and how we can use that info to help level up our own climbing and also maybe just have some more fun at the gym or the crag. And here to help us decode the pro's secrets is the one and only Hazel Finlay. Now, no doubt you're aware of Hazel as a climber. She's been performing at the highest levels for years now. She's got many first ascents and first female ascents to her name, including Magic Line, a 14D rated R trad route in Yosemite, among many others. She was also the first woman to free El Cap via the Golden Gate route. So she's pretty badass. Sport climbing, she just recently did her toughest project, Escalada Masters, a 9A14D in Spain. You guys, that's bonkers. Whether she's 20 feet above a bolt or 30 feet above her last tiny, ridiculously sketchy piece on a British Gritstone E9, what sets Hazel apart is her ability to manage fear, to stay focused and use her mindset to her advantage. Hazel's been coaching for the past six years in the area of performance psychology, stress, and fear management. And she also recently launched an interactive online course on mindset training called Strong Mind, where she helps climbers manage their fears and also maximize their performance through the use of psychological tools. She works with people on fear of falling, fear of failure, social fears, and performance anxiety with the aim of improving the quality of their climbing experience and performance. It is awesome. I'm so psyched for this deep dive into the mind of climbing. The official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle is FizzyVantage. FizzyVantage is the leader in climbing nutrition with more than 50 professional climbers from sport crusher Jonathan Segrist to comp crusher Natalia Grossman to boulder crusher Daniel Woods to big wall crusher Jordan Cannon, all using their science-backed products daily to support their training and climbing performance. So those are some pretty good endorsements. But what about Crusher Ryan Devlin? Well, yes, I use it too. And I've been a paying customer for over a year now. You guys, I love their products. I really give them credit for helping me to level up my training and performance over the past year. So here's a little look into my day with PV. I start each morning with some supercharged collagen mixed into my tea. I like the vanilla flavor because it's kind of like adding cream, but without adding cream. And then on my way to the gym, I'll mix up some Endurex to boost my endurance so that I can train harder. And after that session, I refuel with some of their weapons-grade whey protein. Y'all, FizzyVantage is just your one-stop shop to level up. Try it out for yourself. I think you'll see the difference. Hit that link in the show notes or use checkout code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off your order at fizzyvantage.com. This episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. Y'all have heard of these guys. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews and they're recommended by tons of pro athletes. Guys, I've been taking AG1 for a while now and I love it. I got a couple young kids and they're always bringing home some sort of nasty bug from school or daycare. But I'm telling you, I've been healthier than ever since I've been taking AG1. It is awesome. It supports gut health, 
nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, all the things. And you know what? It's way cheaper than buying supplements. So it's just like a simple thing that I can do every day to take care of myself. And I think it's also really cool that they're a carbon neutral company. Guys, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com struggle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com struggle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, thank you for listening to those ads, guys. They support the show, which is awesome, and I really believe in their products, so check them out if you can. Um, last thing, I'm really psyched to share that the struggle's carbon neutral, thanks to a partnership with Honnold Foundation, whose mission is to promote solar energy for a more equitable world. Swing on over to honnoldfoundation.org and just consider setting up a monthly donation like I did or whatever you can. You can check out the awesome projects they're supporting, from solar-powered organic waste processing in Brooklyn to solar-powered fruit processing in an indigenous Amazon community. They are doing rad stuff. Check them out. All right, let's take a deep, relaxing breath as we get ready to sharpen our mental game with Hazel Finlay. Hazel, welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's just such an honor to have you here. I honestly cannot think of a better person to look back at the season that we just had with these elite climbers uh, through the lens of mental game than yourself. And I'm curious, before we dive into all of it, you've really created this expertise, this niche in mindset. And where did that come about? Where did your passion for the mental aspect of climbing come from? Yeah, I mean, it's, it started really early for me. Just even, you know, when I was like seven years old as a child, I could just see that climbing was so psychological. Um, and, you know, my dad taught me how to climb and he was quite interested in the psychology. And it, it was what happened in our minds that made climbing an interesting enterprise. And it was the psychological side of it that made climbing interesting. Um, and that, that was like the world I was brought into sort of like the adventure of it, the the fear element, that was why climbing was different to other sports. That's why we didn't play basketball or netball or whatever, right? Um, so yeah, I've always been interested in it. And I also, you know, like as a young girl, I guess like maybe the stereotype wasn't for me to be brave. So I guess I fought against that stereotype a little bit when I was younger. And to be like, well, actually, I can be just as brave. I'm not as tall and big as strong, but I can, you know, use my mind if I train my mind and it can be an asset to me. And I think it's been my biggest asset throughout my whole climbing. And when I look around, I see that it's really limiting people on so many different levels. And so that's what motivated me to become a coach and then just trying to grow that coaching now, basically with their business, uh, Strong Mind. That's uh, really wonderful. And and it also sounds like it's fulfilling work that you do to, to work with the clients like that. It's so fulfilling. I mean, just to have someone be like, oh, I led my first lead and I wasn't actually terrified or, you know, I, I just sent my project and it was actually this really beautiful experience rather than this like negative experience. Or, you know, when people say things like that to you, it just, it feels so like 
way more satisfying than my own personal goals, to be honest, because you feel like you're actually having an impact outside yourself and you're doing this thing that you're good at as well. It's not just like giving to charity, which kind of anyone can do. It's sort of like using your skills to the best of your ability. So um, yeah, it's really satisfying for sure. Yeah, those ripple effects that you can have on people's lives, not just their climbing, but like their lives when you're working through these issues, these fears and confidence. It's just fantastic. So thanks for doing that work. I'm so excited to dive in. Let's first just look at struggle though, right? That's the name of the show. And so I'd just like to hear from you before we get specific into mindset. What do you feel about struggle? What's your relationship with struggle as a climber? I think for me, like challenge, you know, we, we struggle when we're challenged. Um, and I think it would be better to be, I mean, challenge level is really important in climbing. It's like the the most important thing and it's what most people get wrong especially when it comes to psychology without the struggle it's not that interesting basically like if you took away the challenge then climbing is going to be not that interesting and I think that it's cool to remind ourselves of that right that we do it because it's challenging because it's hard because it gets us out of our comfort zones because it feels kind of out there you know, even in the safest sport climbing, even top roping, it can feel really out there, you know, compared to like going to the shops or something. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's the most valuable part of climbing is that challenge level. Yeah, well, I'd like to hear from you then first before we dive into the specific climbers as we look back on season one. Where have you struggled in your mental game, Hazel? I mean, you're the expert on it, right? Everybody would assume that You've got everything figured out. You run the business on mental game. You coach clients all over the world from elite to everyday climbers. You help them work through these struggles, these challenges with their mindset. So, you know, clearly you've got it all figured out. Um, but that's not always the case, right? So where have you struggled or where do you struggle in your mental game? Yeah, I mean, I think I've struggled in all the ways that most people struggle, right? Like, uh, I've had fear of falling in the past. Um, and, you know, it's not like I'm never scared to fall now. Like, I certainly go out and I'm, you know, it can feel a little distracting still. Um, and certainly fear of failure. Certainly imposter syndrome definitely um, affects me quite a bit as a professional climber like the lack of confidence in myself. Um, I think, you know, I think all of the kind of the main ways that we struggle with our mental gain in climbing, I've also struggled with. It's just, I've also thought a lot about it, practiced, trained, and I kind of know what to do about those things, I guess maybe is where I might differ from other people. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you've eliminated these, these, challenges that you face on the mental aspect it's just that you've found ways of managing them maybe more so than than somebody like myself yeah totally definitely found ways of managing them but also you just up the challenge level right so it's like okay i'm not scared to fall on sport routes but like i did a route last year with a giant run out on it you know which is like a 10 meter run out of course i was scared to fall on that 10 meter run out you know and that's the thing it's like it's never over like the challenge in climbing is never over and if it was over you'd get bored and you'd stop climbing and you'd do something else 
And I think we can fall into this pattern of being like, well, when I'm this kind of climber, this won't be challenging. It's like, no, you'll just climb a harder route and you'll just find the challenge elsewhere. So like with fear of failure, even if you pick a bigger goal, chances are that that fear of failure will creep in, even if you've managed it on smaller with smaller goals. So yeah, part of it's managing it, but then also part of it is doing more challenging things. Just keeping upping the ante, essentially upping the stakes. Yeah. So are we, are we sane people, Hazel? Are climbers just a little bit insane? Is that why we continue? Like, is it like an addictive personality? What is it about us that like we, we just, we conquer one thing and then we're like, well, just let me add a little more spice then. It's human nature for sure. You know, part of it's the desire to achieve, but part of it's also curiosity, I think. And we, you know, we can talk about what are more healthy drivers in climbing but i think that climbers are probably deeply curious people and they they want to know what it feels like to be in these places um and that's a cool thing i think yeah yeah i think so too well uh, it's such rich territory here uh the mental game um area of climbing and it's what drew me to climbing initially as well essentially I just was living a very stressful life and every time I went to the gym and just like exercised on the treadmill I was still stressing about all the things that I had to do at work or home or whatever and and then I popped into a climbing gym once and and got on a you know a route and I was scared to fall and because of that like I wasn't able there was no room in my brain to think about the bills that I had to pay or something like that you know so like it was almost like a meditation even though I was gripped with fear and you know people tend to relate fear as like maybe such a negative thing but like for me in that in that sense it was very positive because it it pushed out all the other concepts that were really like muddying my mind yeah it was engaging right it brings you into the present moment because you're you're totally engaged in the task because you are afraid in the moment or you're slightly stressed people think like stress is always bad but it's not, we want the right level of a stress response because we want to be alert, you know? Like my my stress levels are slightly raised in this conversation and that's a good thing because I'm engaged, I'm alert, I'm not thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing tomorrow. And I think that's, you know, why it can be a mental relief from other things going on in your life because you're you're in the moment because you have to be. Love that. So let's jump in and, and look at this season um looking back at 10 episodes of the struggle climbing show i don't know how i got them but these people said yes and they came in and they sat down now many of them you know um, i'm sure you're you're friends with uh, most of the people on this list and um, i think that can bring some additional context to this conversation as we look at a lot of these interviews but before we dive into some of the specifics just kind of looking at the big picture i just um Want to know what your impressions were? Any takeaways through your lens on mindset of some of the interviews, the content, the answers, the themes that were shared by these elite climbers? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I think I think it points to how complex a topic psychology is. It's almost like when you get to a pro level, you kind of have your unique way of dealing with your psychology. And you don't necessarily pay it too much attention. And I imagine like a lot of these pros have not really researched much much psychology, but they've found something that works for them. 
And I think that that's really interesting, but I also don't know if it's the best. Like I don't, for example, I don't think pro climbers necessarily make good mental training coaches, you know, because I I think what they found that works for them is not necessarily going to work for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then also just like, I think like fear of failure is probably the thing that limits pros the most. Um, because I think like with fear of falling and stuff, you probably had to have managed that to some level to get as good as they are. Sure. Um, but fear of failure, you can actually achieve a lot and be crippled with fear of failure and actually can be really like extrinsically motivated. Um, and and still achieve a lot. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, by my count, I, I was looking back at the episode and it, it looked like five of the 10 noted explicitly as like their number one fear in, in the mental game was a fear of failure. And then another two spoke more generally about self-confidence and ego. Um, so whether you wrap that in or not, it's either half of them or you know, 70% of these pro climbers cited as first um, a fear of failure. And that surprised me. Did that surprise you? No. Mm -hmm. Didn't surprise me, no. If you think about it, you know, these people have achieved a lot and achievements feel good and they can become addictive. You know, and the, the feeling you get when you achieve something is does not last that long. You know, I just climbed like my hardest sport route this year and people come up to me who've not seen me and they're like, oh, well done on your route. And I'm literally like, what route? You know, do you know what I mean? Like, right. it just really doesn't last. Um, so we're always chasing that next thing. And so if you value the end more than the process, um, Basically, you can't in this constant state of needing to achieve again and again and again to kind of feel good about yourself and to have your ego satisfied and to, you know, also like there's people who expect you to achieve, right? Like your sponsors, the people who follow you on Instagram, you know, what are you going to post on Instagram if you haven't achieved anything in the last few months? So there's all these pressures, right, which make the prospect of not achieving, which is the same as failure, right? Um, it that it makes it a thing to fear, you mm -hmm. know. That this this state of not living up to the expectations of others, not living living up to what is required of you by your sponsors, that's scary. And it's scarier for a pro climber than it is for a normal climber, I think, um, because you aren't as a as an average middle of the road climber, you're not expected to be as good as a pro climber. That said, I think that a lot of climbers, even climbers who are not pros, really struggle with fear of failure because we're very, very social creatures and we really like to feel kind of praise from our peers and we tend to put ourselves in like hierarchies with our friends. And so like if your friend comes along and does a route and you usually climb better than them, then there's all this pressure to climb it too. Because if you don't, then people will think you're a worse climber. You know, we're, we're very wrapped up in thinking like that. And we're often very unaware of it as well. And there's loads of research around this. It's super interesting. Um, but basically, like, 
we're very socially motivated mm-hmm. and our, we have big egos. All of us do. No matter how zen you think you are, you've got an ego. <laughs> and so, yeah, that then that if we, we achieved to protect our ego and in the absence of that, we fear failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it affects most of us, to be honest. There's only a few people I meet who se- seem to be completely immune to it, and I'm so jealous of them. Yeah, that that motivation there is interesting because, you know, we, I'm not sponsored, you know, as a climber. Most of us are not sponsored as climbers, but I've certainly felt that fear of failure um, and just maybe my buddies ran up the route and now I'm super struggling on it and... You know, I, I really want to send because I just want to be at their level or, you know, I, it's it's so interesting how the ego does get wrapped up in there. And I wonder if that's something that you often work with non-pro climbers on then. Yeah, I mean, I coach loads of people who are not pro climbers and who really struggle with fear of failure and and real kind of deep fear of failure ends up being a self-worth issue usually. Mm-hmm. And so what it, what usually is the case that is that um, you tend to fuel your sense of self-worth with climbing achievements. So you basically just feel like you have very little self-worth and self-confidence. You really don't think of yourself as a very good person unless you achieve these arbitrary things in climbing. And it's a very unhealthy place to be and it causes a lot of unhappiness in climbing and so as a coach it's about trying to find places sources of self-worth that are not tied to performance Um, what would be an example with with regard to fear of failure then and and obviously it's so highly individualized because you're you're talking you know one-to-one to clients and and so i'm sorry if this is like an impossible task but maybe you could give some sort of example of what that would mean maybe for um, a pro climber um, and, and maybe for, you know, just an amateur kind of weekend warrior type. Yeah, so I think my go-to with fear of failure is really to redefine what failure means to the individual. So, you know, Emily said in her interview with you, you know, that, that failure um, is inevitable, like we should fail, we want to fail. Yes, and I love... I loved her whole take on kind of fear um, and also failure just in in general. Let, let's, let me pull up that quote real quick. I think like fear, failure is something that traditional society kind of frowns upon. It's like something we should avoid. Being a failure, failing, all these things. It's something that we're taught to be afraid of. And I think that's a really unrealistic expectation to have on people. I think that failing is really valuable. And I don't even like it when people are like, oh, you didn't fail. Like you learned a lot or like you did this. And it's like, no, I failed. Just say what it is. Just let's just say it. Like it's I don't want to like sugarcoat it or make it into something that it's not like failure is failure. And it's awesome. So, you know, you and Emily are pretty good friends. You all climb together. What, what do you think of her perspective there? I think she's right in saying, yes, let's accept that. Let's embrace failure as what it is, which is necessary part of developing and pushing yourself in whatever it is that you do in life, right? 
you know, the, like the business term, like fail first kind of mindset, you know. But I also think that like the people saying it's not a failure, you learn. They also have a valuable thing there because, I mean, what they're really saying is that your experience wasn't wasted. And I think that that's really important to understand, right? Like, for example, when I did Magic Line, so I call it a metric of success or metric of failure. So how do we measure failure? How do we measure success? And our standard conception of failure is like, we don't do the route. And the standard conception of success is we do the route. But what if your metric of failure was um, you fail if you um, don't keep trying or you don't try hard or you don't stay positive with the process. So when I went to, to do Magic Line, like my main goal was to stay present and positive with the process of trying the route. That was like my primary goal, my the primary thing that I wanted to get from the trip. And my secondary goal was to complete the climb. Now you might think, oh, that's that's sounds a bit silly because like obviously you want this to do this route but it helped me climb better I knew that having my attention more focused on the primary goal of staying present and positive which was actually going to allow me to drop into my best performances whereas if I'd gone oh I'm only here to send the route if I don't the whole trip's wasted there's no learning or value in this process unless I send the route. My attention is always at the end. It's at the end point, at the end goal. And then I'm not present with the process anymore. So for me, I personally, and this is what I do with the people I coach, is try to change what failure means to someone. So basically, it's like a mindset which is driven by learning and good performances rather than outcomes and achievements. Oh, man. This is like a masterclass, Hazel. I love this. You're, <laughs> dropping, you're dropping some truth bombs over here right now, and it's like they're like hitting me right in the head. I love it. Uh, is that So is that what, because I hear a lot of people talk about growth mindset and this kind of thing. Is that essentially the definition of growth mindset? Like, or is it process mindset? Yeah, it's more, it's more being process-oriented mm -hmm. is what that is. Um, it's about valuing the process and having what I would say is like you're prioritizing learning. I also sometimes call this a mastery mindset because what you're doing is you're, you're putting mastery of the sport and excellence above these achievements. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, all these achievements end up as stepping stones anyway, right? They're just means for you to develop as a climber. They think they feel like this huge, big thing in the moment, like that it, it defines you and your world and then a year from now you're like oh that was just to help me get fitter for this other thing that I want to do you know we're all on this journey of mastery and climbing and so why not prioritize learning and development and growth along the way rather than ticking these boxes essentially um yes. growth mindset's a little bit different because really with growth mindset it's more about believing that your traits aren't fixed so a lot of people come to me and they're like uh I'll always be a scared climber. I'll never be bold. That's an example of a fixed mindset where they really feel like that the trait of being a scaredy cat or whatever is really fixed for them. And they think that pro climbers generally don't suffer so much from having a fixed mindset because they might do outside of climbing, but within climbing, 
I think to get to a high level, you've really got to believe that you can be better than you are. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I appreciate you laying out the difference there. Um, kind of the process mindset versus growth mindset. And so staying with process mindset, essentially being, um, setting your success metric on the process rather than the outcome. You touched on something there, the, you know, the check boxes, right? Like the tick marks, those, those beautiful green check marks on Instagram when we, when we get the send. And I just wonder from your perspective, kind of how important, um, that does come into it, like as a motivating factor, where does the send come into um, kind of a healthy amount of motivation um, as opposed to this this more process set goals, the process mindset that you're talking about? Yeah, so I think I think it's quite personal, you know, like um, some people, if they set that goal, they'll be really happy and present with that process anyway just having that goal like I want to send 13a or whatever some people will be really distracted and negative and it also won't necessarily help their climbing because they might find the most soft touch 13a in their local area that totally suits them so then they just get stuck in these like niches and comfort zones with their climbing because they've not prioritized learning they're coming from this mindset of wanting to achieve the number rather than actually seeing the number what is the number it's we like it because it signifies that we've grown as a climber but we know that the grades don't always match with the challenge level and the difficulty right so if you're if you're not being challenged to the right level and that's not actually going to develop you as a climber what's the point in doing it so i think it varies from person to person but and there's nothing wrong with having like an outcome goal like that but I think you need to be a bit self-reflective and go is this actually good for me and my climbing or or am I just getting myself in this negative distracted hole of just trying to tick things for the sake of the number because it bolsters my ego a bit but actually I don't know if I'm developing as a climber so what you could do is you could say, okay, what are my weaknesses in climbing? What do I want to get better at? And you go, well, I'm not that good at power endurance climbs. So I'm going to find like a power endurance route, which I know that if I do that route, I will have improved my power endurance. So whatever the grade is, could be 13A. You find that power endurance route, you train power endurance, but that primary goal, a process goal of getting better at power endurance that's your main outcome. That's your main driver. Um, and then the 13A is just this secondary thing, which is like the little cherry on the top kind of thing. And that's just so much better because you'll be really present with the process and you'll value the process the whole way. And even if you don't send, you'll go, well, I've improved my power endurance because I've been training that all season and I've had a great time on this route. And this route has really helped me learn X, Y, and Z. And, um, you know, it's really in, improved my power endurance. So I'm happy, you know, I'm a happy climber. And that's what it's about, right? Like, what's the point if we're not happy climbers? God, this is such a therapy session for me, Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, let's, let's bring it back to the pros here. Um, that's now what the episode is about. We're going to dive in. We're going to get away from my own personal issues and we're going to talk about the pros. But Alex Magos comes to mind kind of immediately because I think that guy's journey has been interesting um, as he shared in our interview, where he had formerly been 
really hard on himself if he wouldn't send. He would get incredibly upset. The film Rot Punked, I think, documented that pretty well. Um, and, and he's had kind of an evolution on that. But let me share a clip from our interview here where he was talking about what his mentality was um, maybe a few years ago. If you invest a year into trying to do this one route and you don't do anything, you might see this one year as a waste of time, which obviously it isn't. But if you're young and you have lots of expectations, uh, you know, or you feel like you have lots of expectations from other people, from yourself, that's the way you think. So yeah, Alex is kind of talking about those external motivators um, and, and how much pressure that puts on the send. And it sounds like that's, as you said, something that the pros often struggle with. What's your take on that? So just because some of these moments, you see them when they're really at their, like the hardest moments for them, we see them on film. But, you know, I've climbed with Alex and a lot of these pro climbers, and I know that for a lot of the time, there's a lot of joy there in climbing for them. So... Yeah, but I think it would be great if the whole community could be a little less like achievement oriented. I think it would be nice if we talked a bit more about the actual experiences that we're having on the wall. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you how we can deal with these these feelings as they come up, whether it's, you know, like you said, focusing kind of on the experience on the wall. I think that's awesome. I, I love the reframing of that. Actually, Alex um, suggested something, or, or this is what what he does now when he's trying to relieve some of the pressure that he's putting on himself. Let's let's listen to what he said. Trying to minimize the pressure, I'm literally telling myself it really doesn't matter. You know, if you climb it today, it doesn't matter. You know, the world's not going to change. You're not going to change. You're still the same person. The world's still going to spin tomorrow. So yeah, I guess he's really just minimizing it in in general you know essentially like climbing doesn't matter that much the the world is going to spin as he said yeah i mean that that's actually a valid way of responding to fear of failure and it's called putting it in perspective and it's definitely something that i might use as a coach with someone is um you know in sort of like zooming out from your life right taking this bird's eye view on your life and going does this climb really matter? Or are there things that could happen that would matter so much more than this climb? You know, mm -hmm. a family member becoming ill or, you know, an injury. Injuries can be really good learning moments for pro climbers because they go, you know what, being able to climb, I'm so grateful for that. And you know, Kevin Jorgensen talked about gratitude and that that's another tool, you know, putting things in perspective and then being grateful for what you have. You're one of the best climbers in the world. You get to do something like right on the edge of what's possible for humans. How lucky is that, that you get to be that person, right? That's so good at something. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's cool that Alex is managing it in that way. Yeah, you mentioned KJ there and um, his his perspective on on gratitude, which, you know, as he said, struggle was um, a struggle of choice. Like rock climbing is a struggle of choice, and that really helped him to put things in perspective when he was um, trying super hard or when he got injured. Your your comment there on injury is is so um, interesting because yeah, like sometimes you don't you don't know what you have until you you lose it, right? So I think that's fascinating. 
you know, it also brings to mind Lynn Hill, who, um, when she was talking a lot about kind of fear, whether it was um, fear of falling, uh, being up on these big walls and using some sketchy gear or whatever, she, you know, talked about kind of constantly bringing herself back to the moment and really appreciating what was around her um, in that moment. And let's just hear what she had to say on that. You can tell yourself, again, the wrong story, but if you, you know, just relax, enjoy the ride, you know, you're there to see the birds next to you and that whatever is going on and, you know, encourage your, your partner as they're climbing and, and figure out your part as you're climbing. So yeah, just kind of being in that moment and appreciating what's around you, not just, I guess, the goal of getting to the top or even just the act of climbing. What does that awareness, that gratitude, what does that do mentally and physiologically to us? So there's like quite a lot of research happening in gratitude at the moment. It's sort of one of those areas in psychology and neuroscience where they're doing quite a bit. But um, in general, it makes us feel good. We feel positive and we feel present. And I personally think that po feeling positive and present are good building blocks for a good performance. I personally you know, do not climb well when I feel negative and distracted. When I feel negative, it just feels like I weigh more. Mm. It just feels like I've got a weight on my shoulders. Whereas when I feel positive, I feel light. I feel free. I feel connected to my experience. And I think that gratitude does that to us. It helps us feel positive and connected to where we are, what we're doing. Um, and we just feel good about things. And I think that that sort of state of mind brings good performances. Yeah, you know, equating that psychological weight to actually feeling like a physical weight. I mean, I've certainly been there. I think a lot of people probably have, right? Like when we sometimes like our, our most fun and easy and, and oftentimes like highest performing days are when we don't care, you know, maybe it's just kind of like the the warm-up go or the the last go of the day where there's just like no pressure at all and you just feel lighter and happier or maybe like you know like when you've you've achieved your objective and then you just throw yourself at something else for the heck of it i feel like jonathan segrist did this the other day when he like he sent like a 15a and then went and got you know f flashed like a high 14 just right after it because kind of all the pressure from the day was off and you're just in the flow and and you're having fun, right? And I think fun is something that we don't talk about as much maybe as, as our goals. And we're supposed to love climbing. Like I use this analogy all the time of, you know, if you're a surfer and you catch this cool wave and it's the ride of your life and you're going through this barrel and then just as you come near the shore and the wave's dissipating and you just fall off your board, right? You don't go, God, that was a waste. Fell off my board at the end of the, of the wave. God, I'm gonna have to do it again. No, you say that's the wave of my life. I've had this great experience. Yet as climbers, we fall off the last move of a cool climb that we're supposed to love the moves of. And we're like, oh, that was a waste. Hmm. Why did I even come to the crag today? So if we're saying, oh, I failed in that moment and that that failure was a bad thing and therefore my efforts were a waste, that mindset is not good mindset. Mm -hmm. What we want to have, whether we're calling this failure or not, we want to have the mindset of like, if I put in good efforts and I had good experiences and I learned something, then that experience is valuable whether I succeeded or not. 
the alternative way of looking at this is like if you on-site a route and it's really easy for you and you didn't have to put in any effort but the grade is like seemingly high and you walk away and you're super psyched and it's been the best day ever then you've got the wrong mindset because what did you learn what did you get from that experience right just because you succeeded have you actually grown as a person and a climber? And did you have fun? Was the route actually engaging and interesting and fun to you? Mm-hmm. So I just think it's about how we value the experiences that we're having as climbers is the, is the important part of all this. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for that perspective. I think failure is something, whether we're pros or weekend warriors, it is something that creeps in. Um, but another thing that creeps in, and I want to shift here, um, is to focus on a fear of falling. I think maybe from more amateur climbers, um, maybe affects us even more so than than fear of failure. Uh, and so I, I'm excited to get your thoughts on this. It's obviously a very rich territory. It's something that totally paralyzed me in, in my climbing for years. And I want to use Alex Honnold as our, our case study on this one, because I think people... Um, maybe unfairly, as he said in our interview, have this idea that he's just incapable of experiencing fear, fear of falling, fear of death. He's got this smaller amygdala. And and all of this is, as he said, has been really misreported. He experiences fear just like the rest of us. He's just found ways of managing it. And so let's hear what he had to say on that. Basically, once you're scared, it's always difficult. I think that where you have a lot more control and what is the better strategy overall is to prepare for that fear ahead of time so that you don't reach that state of being very afraid. And that's where the the gradual expansion of your comfort zone, the sort of steady desensitization, like exposing yourself to the things that are slightly scary, but not too scary. Like basically there's a ton of things that you can do to prepare ahead of time so that you never actually experience that deep fear. So what Alex said about like incremental exposure to the things that scare us is exactly what you do to get less scared at stuff. So it's called exposure therapy, really well researched in psychology, neuroscience. It's probably like the most researched area of psychology. And, um, you know, basically you expose yourself to this thing that triggers a stress response. And if you do it carefully and incrementally enough, then you don't get a stress response from that thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what full practice does, right? Um, and so what he's done as a soloist is that he obviously didn't start off soloing El Capitan. He started off soloing 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", and he's just put so many miles under him as a soloist. Um Do I think anyone can do that, though? Probably not. You know, there's such variability in terms of like our capacity to feel anxiety and fear and stress responses. Like we're all on a kind of spectrum of um, how like predisposed we are to feel anxiety. So people who suffer from like clinical clinical anxiety, um, generalized anxiety disorder, it's called, you know, they're going to find it harder to do this process than people who don't, for example. Yeah, you you talked about fall practice for a second there, and and that's exactly what I ended up doing. You know, so uh, just as context, I started climbing trad out west on stuff that I was pretty sure I would never fall on because I didn't want to test gears because I was junk at placing, you know, pieces and these kinds of things. And then when I moved to Kentucky and, and predominantly started climbing sport at the red, I had a really hard time just becoming okay with falling. 
And even though I like rationally told myself that it was okay to fall because of these bolts and all these things, like I, I, I had to learn to fall still. And so I, I did fall practice, you know, to, to, to your point there where I would just climb, you know, almost to a bolt, I'd clip it above my head and I would take just a tiny little bounce. Then I'd climb at the bolt. Then I'd, you know, fall just a little bit past the bolt until, until I got to the point where I could take, you know, really big whips kind of into space and have fun with it. And this was a process over, you know, more than a year. Um, but it really worked, you know, that, that exposure therapy, like you're saying, it really worked for me, um, in these kind of small incremental steps. And, you know, part of the process for me was trying to understand, I guess, what was kind of safe and unsafe or, or rational and, and irrational with regard to my fear. And Alex talked about that as well. And, and I know you have, um, I think, uh, maybe a slightly different opinion on this based on some of the things that, that I've seen you write and post. And so let's hear from Alex, his perspective on, um, kind of these types of fears. And then I'd love to get your thoughts. Such a big part of managing fear is differentiating between the rational fears and the irrational fears. Because there are a lot of things in climbing that you should be afraid of because you can die while climbing and it's totally healthy and appropriate to be afraid of that. But then there are also tons of irrational fears, like when you're on some overhead sport route and you're on a brand new rope and everything about the whole system is safe and perfect and wonderful, and yet you still are afraid to take a fall. That's totally irrational. And those are the types of fears that you need to learn how to just put aside and just force past them. So yeah, it's it's not like it's a terrible distinction. I just think in terms of kind of fear and risk management in climbing, it's a the better question to ask yourself when you're making decisions like this is, what's the best thing for me to do in this moment for me at the point I'm in at my climbing? So if I'll, I'll use some examples, it's totally safe to do this huge rope swing off the top of El Capitan, right, where you basically jump off the top and you fall like 100 meters free fall. Totally safe. It's been tested a bunch of times before. You can do it with five ropes. The bolts are totally in there. Would I tell someone with fear of falling to go and do that because it's, you know, rationally safe? No, I would never do that. Um, and the reason why that that distinction kind of falls down is that it just takes into consideration physical harm it doesn't take into consideration psychological harm. Mm -hmm. So someone who's like very afraid could have a very traumatic experience early in their climbing. And this happens so often where someone's like, fall, it's safe, take a whipper. And I know that like a lot of the gyms in the States, they do this lead test and they get you to jump off the last bolt. The amount of people who've come to me asking for coaching because an experience like that has traumatized them for years of their climbing so is that less harmful than like breaking your leg because you're soloing or whatever, you know? It's not, right? So I think that that's one way it kind of falls down. And then the other way is like this, this idea of like, well, if, I, if there are actually consequences, it's rational to be afraid. It sort of falls down a bit as well because you might know, it, there's loads of times where you're, there's consequences, but the climbing's easy or something. So you probably wouldn't fall. So is in that situation, is it rational to be afraid? Um, I also right. think it like points to this idea and this misconception about psychology that if we can logically 
think that something's safe, we can just turn off our emotions, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I'm safe, right? Stress response down to zero. Human mind does not work like that. Like the, the fear response system that we have in our brains is very generalized and logic never trumps emotion, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to anything that's remotely related to our safety. Like our fear response is designed to kick in be really strong to get us out of that situation and it's hyper generalized so like just edges cliffs heights the mind is like nope 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 not into it so even though you can say oh no this rope's not going to snap you're still on the edge of a cliff falling through the air and trusting this little piece of rope to get you you can't just turn that emotion off right yeah i get that and so then what about once that emotion is there to, to your point, I mean, you could be as rational as anyone and that generalized fear pops up. Would love to get some thoughts for you on um, how to manage that once it is there. And and Alex had some words on this as well. So, so let's hear what he had to say and then, and then get your thoughts. Basically, everybody manages fear the same way. Like if you get afraid, like once you start to experience the the physiological sensation of fear, like your pulse is elevated, your your vision narrows, like your hands are sweating, like all those things. Like once you're afraid, I think everybody manages that roughly the same way, which is taking some deep breaths, composing themselves, somehow pulling it together. And that's always hard. I mean, that's hard for everybody. I think I, I do like what he said there, you know, once you're scared, it's always hard. And I think it's, that's a good point for people to understand and especially in light of what we talked about before with the exposure therapy, that there's things you can do in the moment to bring your stress levels down, but they'll bring your stress levels down a bit. They're not just going to magically turn off your fear, right? So it's better to have put in the prep ahead of time. And also it's better to be aptly challenged. So like, I think Alex is great at that. You know, he's had a few experiences where he's not been aptly challenged and he's learned from them, you know, thinking about um, half dome there mm-hmm. um, but I think part of that preparation is actually picking challenges that are appropriate for you and that's where a lot of climbers go wrong and it's something that as a soloist obviously you just have to be so good at because um, you can't get it wrong um, so yeah I think you know that that idea of it's better to be prepared and to have done the training so that when you arrive there you're not scared versus not do the training and the prep um, and arrive and be too challenged and be too afraid. Um, so I think that's a really good thing for people to understand. And, and where does visualization come into play there? Uh, Alex talked a lot about when he was um, working on soloing El Cap, essentially visualizing every potential um, negative outcome. You know, what if a bird flies in my face? He'll visualize that. How would it make him feel? How would he react? What if uh, my shoe tears? What, what if I tear a hole in my shoe? You know, what happens there? How would it make me feel? And so, you know, I mean, that does not sound like a fun way to spend a Sunday, but um, he's really big on that, on visualizing not just the positive outcome, but the the negative outcome. And and so is that something that, that you all work with? Um, yeah, I think it can be very effective, that tool. Um I think it's quite personal. Like I know my boyfriend does that a lot for scary trad climbs is he actually, before he starts off, he actually imagines himself on the wall, like scared. And then he deals with that fear in his head 
calms himself down and then it's almost like he's kind of exposed himself or he knows what it's like basically it's familiar to him that feeling of being afraid before he starts off um i personally don't do that that much and i think that's because i'm actually usually i'm usually more stressed on the ground than i am on the climb and so i'm actively just trying to before something scary i'm just constantly trying to bring my stress down trying to be present deep breaths i do a lot of sighing like there's like this called the physiological sigh and it really helps bring down that those stress levels but yeah i think this is a personal thing basically mm-hmm. visualization i think it sort of depends how your brain works well i'd love to shift to application now and you brought up sighing i'm going to take it's like um parasympathetic now i want to sigh so i'm going to sigh Ah, that's nice. Oh, my shoulders just dropped an inch. That was good. Um, what else do you like to do aside from that sighing before you, you, you know, pull onto the rock? What, what can we think about on our side? I think a little gratitude exercise before you start climbing is really powerful. You know, just listing off the things that you feel thankful for. That's a really nice thing to do. A good thing, you know, and this is something that if if the listeners are very new to mental training is that they can start doing little mini check-ins with themselves, right? So they can check in with how their breath is. And I think when we're stressed, our, our breath changes a little bit. And what does that feel like in your body? And what can that tell you about what you're doing? Um, You know, you might also have some like sensations of fear or you might have some tension in the body as well. So kind of checking in with yourself is really useful um, for sure. And if you notice that you're a bit too stressed, then you can do some things to bring those stress levels down. So like deep belly breaths are really good. Focusing on your breathing, that sigh, um, just sighing is really good. And then also like trying to be present. So just using some little anchoring mindfulness tools. So for example, you might like really look at your knot when you're tying it like visually, or you might really look visually at the first hold that you're going to put your foot on. Or you, when you chalk up, you might like really feel the chalk under your fingers and and really basically try to get more in your body. Mm Because I think a lot of the stress and the distraction that we get before we start climbing is like very much in our mind. It's sort of like that noisy chatter, you know, of like negative, like, oh, what happens if I fall this time? Or oh, what if it's scary up there? You know, whereas if you actually just try to connect to the like the feedback you're getting from your senses, essentially, and then that brings you into the present moment and kind of relieves some of that negative chatter. Now, what about um, on the climb? Because, you know, I guess when you're starting the climb, you're you're centering yourself, you're focusing yourself. But maybe you start the climb calm, cool, and collected, and then something happens in the middle. Maybe you just recognize that you're way above your last piece, or maybe something unexpected happens, a hold break, some, something, you know, where you really get in your head, and now you're gripped by fear. What are some... Um, tricks or tools or emergency levers that you recommend pulling you know once you've hit that point as soon as we end up in that panic mode we we lose a sense of the feedback we actually need from our body to climb well that's why you know you often see people when they're stressed immediately like the weight comes off their feet and they hold all this tension in their upper body but if they had their attention in their feet you know if they were focused on actually how much pressure they were putting through their toes maybe they could actually 
relax into those footholds and then they would panic less because they'd also have less weight on their hands, mm-hmm. right? And they wouldn't be so stressed. And then you can also try to release some of the tension. So as you breathe out, don't just do this deep breath and breathe out, but also try to release some of that excess tension that we get in our body when we start to panic. Um, But I also think that, you know, unless you're in a dangerous position, when you, if you're approaching panic, I actually advise as a coach to like, say, take and come down, Mm. Um, not down, maybe not down to the ground, but you could, if you can kind of, safely get to back to your next bolt and I, so what I would say is like you want to delay use those tools but then if you still feel like you're actually approaching panic you don't we don't ever want to actually be panicked when we climb and I think like you know there's this whole attitude around like push on through push keep pushing but actually like going back to creating those positive associations and negative associations if you're trying to be a less fearful climber being in a panic is the worst thing you can do because it just tells your mind that what you're doing is dangerous. It's, it's It warrants a panic response. So I think actually coming back down to your last bolt, maybe taking a few little practice falls or taking some deep breaths, maybe doing some bouncing on the rope, that kind of thing, and then maybe going back up when you feel like you've collected yourself is actually probably better for you than like pushing through panic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, if, if we don't absolutely have to stay on the wall because of some sort of safety issue, for example, then yeah, why not just take that pressure off ourselves and just just hang for a second and get collected? I like that, Hazel. Thank you. You know, there's there's um, one last tip that that our friend Alex Honnold um, shared here, a bit of a coping mechanism when it comes to fear. And so let, let's check in with him, and, and, and I want to get your thoughts on the efficacy of this, in your opinion. You know, on, on my pestas, I want to, I ate like an entire family-sized tub of Nutella, just like spooning Nutella, just all shell-shocked, sitting in the cook tent, being like, anything to make me feel happiness. So I was so gripped. <laughs> what about eating tubs of Nutella to cope with stress, Hazel? Is that recommended by professionals? I think if it makes you feel better, go for it, yeah. So... <laughs> When we do things that are scary, right, that outside our comfort zones, how do we recover from that and build resilience and stretch our comfort zones? We do that by coming back into our comfort zone to rest. And that's an important part, right? We have to uh, rest our minds just as we rest our bodies. So whether that's eating Nutella or like watching your favorite TV show or whatever, you need to do that in between your climbing days if you're really pushing your comfort zone. Um, and so, I, you know, some of the people I coach, they're very stressful jobs. So they're getting stressed when they're climbing. And then when they're not climbing, they're stressed at work. Mm-hmm. And they wonder why their fear management and their, their, you know, their efforts to build more resilience in climbing aren't working. And it's because they're never actually comfortable. We actually need to be comfortable at rest and not just in this other state of stress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, donuts make me feel better, so I go for those. Um, nice. You know, it's interesting, Jordan Cannon, um, when he was doing Golden Gate in a day, he uh, waited out the sun for four hours on a pitch, and he brought up some episodes of The Office, and he just watched The Office for a couple of hours, and he said it like he was laughing, and it just like really, yeah. you know, he was exhausted, of course, but I think just probably gave him that mental rest than if he had just been sitting there thinking about the next pitch for four hours. Totally. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah. The, the the important thing is, was it the American office or was it the British office? He, I, you know, it's funny. He and I have had this debate because I'm a huge Ricky Gervais fan. Love love British office, although there's only you know only a handful of episodes compared to to the American one. He he loves Michael Scott. He's a big um, American office um, fan, but. You really can't go wrong. We're actually watching the American Office at the moment, and we're enjoying it. So I'm definitely not against it. Oh, good. Well, you know that'll make uh, Jordan happy, I'm sure. So um, Hazel, let's let's kind of shift gears now here, finally, to um, what you're passionate about and what brings you a sense of purpose beyond your own personal rock climbing. And um, there's a lot, right? You you're just involved in so many things. And I'd like to just start, if we could, with your coaching, or, or actually with now kind of this launch or this expansion of your coaching uh, with Strong Mind. Yeah, so, you know, obviously I've been doing this coaching, but I've also prioritized my own climbing. And I was just thinking about ways I can reach more people, really, because I was finding myself saying the same things just to different people. Um, You know, like, for example, just some of the things we've talked about in this call, I might say like a bunch of times a week. And I was just thinking, why am I saying this I could just record myself saying this and then loads of people can benefit from. Uh, so that's where I thought, you know, this online course would be a really good idea. So um, in January and February, I worked the hardest I've ever worked. I think I had like one day to myself in two months. And because um, it's when I was training for um, a sport climb I wanted to do as well. Mm-hmm. And so just, yeah, created this online course and it's a six-week course, but it's pretty stacked for six weeks. Uh, there's a lot of content in there. And it just got such a great reception to it. Um, it was received really well. And, you know, I think around 300 people have done the course now. And um, we've had some really good feedback from it. So how was it structured? You know, like, Tell me a little bit about how the experience of the course is. Basically like a semi-live format. So you can do all the lessons at your own pace, but there's like live Q and A's every week and we're all in a Slack channel. So you can ask questions Mm -hmm. to me and three other coaches are involved now. So it's like video content, but then there's also um, some lessons and practical things you can do and homework tasks and things like that. Well, congratulations. It's really cool uh, what you're building and 300 climbers already that have gone through your course and worked through fears or insecurities and just found more joy in climbing and in the process of climbing. That's that's really cool. The ripple effects of that are pretty profound. So congratulations and can't wait to see what you continue to build with Strong Mind. But also I, I want to hear about some of the charitable organizations that you've worked with or, or that you support. Yeah, so I'm affiliated with um, Urban Uprising, which um, help young people get into climbing. And it's re- there's really about kind of using climbing as a vehicle for um, personal development in, in young people who probably wouldn't have been exposed to climbing or get the opportunity to do a sport as cool as climbing. Um, and that, but that's it's uh, they're UK based. And then Climate, which do a similar thing with refugees. Mm-hmm. So they work in Lebanon and they also work in cities in Europe where there's um, high refugee populations. Um, they do really good stuff. And then Mossy Earth. Um, they're not technically a charity, actually, but... Um, you offset your carbon impact with them, is that... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I offset with them 
and they do like tree planting, but they also do rewilding. So they're sort of taking areas of land in Europe um, and returning them back to how they were before human impact, which is really great for some of the you know, the habitats of the, the animals and the plants that live there. And um, yeah, they do a lot of really cool work. Uh, yeah, that's really wonderful. Thank you for sharing those. Uh, just awesome organizations doing great, great work. I'll link to those. Um, hope everybody has a chance to check them out. And, you know, lastly, I just want to check in on now your own personal goals or what you have coming up. Of course, not too long ago, you climbed your hardest sport route, uh, 9A, uh, 14D. For those of us here in the States, it, it kind of boggles the mind. Congratulations. What a climb. And obviously, you trained incredibly hard for that. You're super fit. So, you know, is there is there something that's next on the horizon for you or is it going to be more about now just focusing on the process? Well, I trained for this sport climbing project and now I'm really fit. So I need to capitalize on that and do more sport climbing. But I kind of, I really like diversity in my climbing. It's what keeps me motivated. And I don't want to look at another sport route real while. <laughs> I won't be doing much physical training for a while. I'll be doing other stuff. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite um, psyched for like more adventurous stuff. I'm going on an expedition with Alex actually to Greenland this summer. Uh, so that's kind of the next big thing on the horizon really. So just trying to get in shape for big days because it's a really different type of fitness to climbing a <laughs> 35 meter. 14D, I can tell you that much. Well, watch out. You're going to have to um, hide those tubs of Nutella while you're all out there together. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe yeah, if he totally. gets too gripped, now you know how to help him, uh, help calm him down a little bit. <laughs> I mean, if Alex is gripped, then I'll definitely be super gripped. So I think maybe I'll be having the Nutella. And that wraps up our chat with Jedi Master Hazel Finlay. What'd y'all think of her analysis? If you got any questions, let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Hazel underscore Finlay, at Ryan Devlin Outside, and at The Struggle Climbing Show. And you can also check out the podcast that she does with Mina. It's called The Curious Climber, and it is awesome. Now, my big takeaways from this look back on season one through the lens of mental game is that fear of failure or other social pressures can turn a fun day into a bummer really quickly. So having a process mindset, as Hazel described, can really help to alleviate those internal and external pressures that we put on ourselves. Fear of falling is also something that I've really struggled with personally, and I like Hazel's nuanced perspective on that. You know, let's just be kind to ourselves. Let's take the time that we need in order to work through our fears. Now, personally, I found fall practice to be incredibly helpful, and now I kind of enjoy falling, and that was a huge, huge breakthrough for me. And lastly, for those of us who don't pay our bills as rock climbers, and you know what, even those who do, bringing a healthy dose of gratitude every time that we chalk up, it just seems like a powerful secret to not only help us perform better, but also just have more fun. So I am grateful for what Hazel's doing for the climbing community. And if you'd like to learn more about her course, swing on over to strongmindclimbing.com. Big shout out to Fizzy Vantage for being the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle for the entirety of season one. If you all want to level up your training and performance, check it out. You can try their supercharged collagen to keep your fingers healthy and strong so that you can train and perform at your best or any of their other products. They're all so great. I personally use them and love them. Fizzy Vantage is now available in Europe on the Epic TV online shop and in the US at select gyms and of course at fizzyvantage.com. 
Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. Well, that clips the anchors on this episode, as well as season one of the Struggle Climbing Show. What started as this crazy little idea to connect with my climbing heroes and see where they've struggled in their climbing journeys has grown into this really cool community of climbers and listeners, and it just wouldn't be possible without you. So thank you for joining me in the struggle. You know, I got some really cool bonus content that's lined up for the next couple of months before season two kicks off which is going to have even more blockbuster climbers sharing their struggles and breakthroughs. I'm so psyched, y'all. And I'm also gonna be rolling out some pretty rad patron-only content. So now would be a great time for you to pop over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show and come on aboard as a patron. For just a few bucks a month, you can help make this show possible. And it's a ton of work, so thank you in advance if you can. And you'll also get to score some cool gear. And most importantly, you'll be supporting me and the hardworking climbers who give up our days at the crag in order to bring you this content that hopefully makes your day just a little bit happier and your climbing maybe a little bit better. So pop over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show and check it out. Thank you. I love you. I'm your host, Ryan Devlin, and this show was produced by myself and Mary Mathis with support from Emily Holland. All right, let's climb hard and do good things in the world.